Hey guys, wanted to invite you to the Awaken Conference, Memorial Day weekend, May 23rd through 25th in 2020. We are bringing it back. Thousands of young adults are gonna gather in this city, Dallas, Texas, to be a part of a weekend where we awaken to the movement you were made for, which is the church. To be a part of that weekend, to find out all that'll be involved, you can go to awaken.live and sign up. You don't wanna miss it and we hope to see you there. In the Woodlands, El Paso, Nashville, Mint Hill, Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, wherever you are joining and listening, all the live locations and everybody that is here. Hey, uh, we are continuing the series Roaring Twenties. Tonight we are going to talk about relationships, dating, how to make sure that you don't set yourself up on one of the biggest arenas of life to experience pain in the next 10 years of your life. Let me start by asking this question. What is the greatest romantic comedy of all time? The Notebook. Is that a comedy? It's such a tragedy. It's like, you gotta, you gotta laugh more. What else, what is it? All right, I heard it. I'm gonna go on record. I think the greatest romantic comedy of all time is How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. You guys remember this? With Kate and Matthew McConaughey, 2003, the dress that set off a thousand prom dresses across the room and across the world. If you don't know the story, let me catch you up. It, it, this is all going somewhere, by the way, just not me getting off my chest, my favorite rom-com. But um, the story is this. So Kate was a columnist. She was working for this magazine. Think like, you know, Cosmo, only they didn't name it that because of copyright. But she's working for this magazine. She's got an assignment in the column. Hey, I want you to write a article or a column on how to lose a guy in 10 days. He's got to make him fall in love with you and then how to get out of that relationship in 10 days. And then at the same time, Matthew is like doing some diamond deal where he basically finds himself, in order to get a job, he had to convince his boss, hey, I can sell anything, including myself. And his boss says, all right. And they're at the same party, coincidentally. His boss looks over, sees Blondie, says, hey, I want you to go and make Blondie, that's not what she says, make her fall in love with you. And, uh, and he's like, challenge accepted. So now they've got this irrespective, she's going to try to get him to lose or to you know, drop him like a top. He's going to fight him a way to make her fall in love. And Kate Hudson then goes into this relationship and does all the iconic things that you would think a girl would do to try to make a guy be like, man, this is just too much. You are way too extra. I'm out of here. So that included things like getting a dog very quickly into the relationship. It's like, oh, they got a dog named Princess, which is one of the more ugly dogs you've ever seen. Burberry and all. It included her getting a, uh, coming over during the poker night with the game, if you remember this moment. Well, she's there. There she is wiping his nose. All the guys are over. Included the famous love fern. Remember this? That he let die and then claimed no, it was sleeping. I mean, there's some genius moments in the entire thing. And then finally, they end up meeting at that party. And if you know the story, I won't go into all of it. But uh, eventually, they decide that they do want to be together. And she doesn't write the column that she would have thought of. And there they are with the iconic moment on the bridge. She doesn't go to Chicago for the job and just greatest rom-com of all time. It's one of those movies that there's some part of us that loves it because it's like, oh man, 
just this idea that these starstruck lovers, that even though they weren't trying to make it work, there was something inside of them that just couldn't keep them apart in this amazing love story. It really resonates because all of us want to have this love story that no matter the imperfections and the challenges and the journeys that we go along, we hope that one day we're going to just kind of bump into that person and there they are and here I am and it's going to work together and we're going to make it last forever. And yet we live in a culture that does anything but that or a culture where love that lasts, I mean marriages that not just stay together but where two people come and they really love each other, they really enjoy being with one another, they share the same values where they don't end up in divorce is increasingly rare. I mean, let alone the the stat of like 40 to 50% of marriages end up in divorce. And yet how many marriages, even the ones that don't, end up just in a loveless, sexless, unromantic life? And the God who's there doesn't want that to be your story. He doesn't want that to be my story. And you may not know this, like if you came in the room and you're like, man, I would love to be in love someday and in a marriage and, and I would love that to be a part of my story. Good news is statistically, like 75% of you will experience that by the age of 35. And the even further good news is that the God who is there, he wants you to experience a romance and a marriage that exceeds any romantic comedy that is out there, beyond anything that you could even hope for yourself. He is committed and desires you to experience that. But in culture, though they put up this lofty idea of like, man, this would be amazing, we celebrate that romantic comedy, we also have sold a bunch of lies that many of us have believed, many of us are living out, and they are keeping you from experiencing the type of love that you want. So what I wanna talk about tonight, we're gonna fly through, I'm gonna cover 10 things. If you take notes, there are gonna be 10 things about how to lose it love in 10 ways. How to lose it love in 10 ways. Over the next 10 years, listen to me very closely, you most likely will decide the person you're gonna spend the rest of your life with. Think about that. Among the decisions that are most gonna impact your life, Few, if any, other than who you're going to trust as Lord and Savior, are going to be more important than who you marry and covenant your life to. And there are some real clear things that culture is saying, hey, this is how you should date. And if you date that way, you can be sure you will lose at love in the next 10 years. And you'll lose at love in these 10 ways. So we're going to fly through. I'm going to cover each of them for the next like 30 minutes. So we're going to go through very quickly how to lose at love. This is kind of a high level, what not to do. We've done lots of dating series. You can go check out any of those on the porch app if you're interested in finding out more of the kind of proactive things to do. This is like, hey, you need to avoid these landmines. Because if not, you're going to lose at love in the next 10 years if your love life looks like one of these 10 ways. All right, so the first one. In fact, let me just read all of them up top. All right, so I'll just fly through them. Hey, here's 10 ways to lose at love in the next 10 years. Date for fun, make exceptions if they're exceptional, play married, search for the best, jump from relationship to relationship, focus on chemistry over character, project past hurts, isolate your relationship, have sex when you're ready, believe love is something that you fall into. You can close in prayer right there. Just end it. All right, let me go through them a little bit slower. Date for fun. What I would say, date for fun. Why is dating for fun a bad idea? This is the idea. What does this look like? This looks like dating is just kind of for sport. I'm not really ready to get married yet, but I also don't love not having anything to do on a Friday night. I'd love to have somebody paying for my meals every now and then. That kind of sounds fun. And let's be honest, attention from the opposite sex 
That's pretty cool. And so you're just in that season where you're dating for fun. You're not really interested in settling down. You're kind of playing the field. You got 16 dating apps. You're swiping on Tinder. Why and how could that be a bad idea? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, above everything else, it says, guard your heart, protect your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That wellspring of life just means everything you do in life flows from your heart. And Solomon's like, hey, I wrote a lot of Proverbs, wrote Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, that was pretty cool, but above everything else I've ever written, I want you to listen. Solomon would say, protect your heart. Why is it a bad idea to casually date? Because in doing so, you are training yourself to give your heart away, to give small parts of your heart away, to give large parts of your heart away, and you are training yourself to break up and do and experience something God never intended your heart to experience, that breakup. And everything you do in life flows from your heart. And so every time you casually date and you give a little bit of away, you are giving away a part of your heart, and it's gonna impact the next relationship and your future marriage. And Solomon's gonna say, it's gonna impact all of your life. Do not be a fool and it is foolish to casually date. You are training yourself, not for marriage, but for divorce. I mean, just like practically, think about it. I get in a relationship, we're kind of together, we have all these mixed emotions, we fool around, we hook up, and then we break up. You're experiencing something God never intended you to experience. You know dating is a relatively new invention. It's like less than 100 years old, or around 100 years old. Like people have been driving a car and flying planes about the same length of time that they've been dating. And we really haven't mastered this craft. So if the world around us says, man, just date around, kind of figure out what you like, you are taking your cue and advice, and it's gonna end up with you experiencing losing at love in the next 10 years, 10 ways. So the first one, dating around, dating just for sport, the truth is, in this time, you should be selective. If you're not ready to get married, you should not date. If you're not ready to get married, like in the next 12 months, you should not date. Second one, make exceptions if they are exceptional. Make exceptions if they are exceptional. Now we are just getting up in people's business. This looks like you're at work, you got that coworker, he's a cute guy, you're hanging out, and he's like, oh, you know, what are you doing this afternoon? You go on a date, you begin to talk about, uh, um, you know, faith, and it's important to you, and you're trying to grow in your spiritual walk, you ask him, does he have a faith or where's he at in that? And he describes something of like, no, not really, but I'm not opposed to coming to church. And you begin to go, oh man, you know, but he's such a great guy. He's so nice and he's so kind and he's open to coming to church. I mean, he's not a Christian or he's not following Jesus, but he's open to coming with me. I could be a good source of light in his life. Or it looks like you being, uh, you know, the person who's like, I'm gonna make exceptions because I think this is exceptional you know, circumstance, and I've been dating this guy, and, you know, he cheated on his girlfriend with me, and we started dating, but he wouldn't cheat on me like that because, you know, we are totally different. Or you're the guy, maybe you're dating a girl, and, and you know, people are like, dude, have you looked at her Instagram? Like, every other picture is her putting her cleavage out in the shortest dress that you could ever see, and it just doesn't seem like she's a, a girl who wants to be known for godly qualities, and, and you're like, yeah, you know, but... She, you know, she dresses that way, but it's because she's a cheerleader, dude. You have to in order to, you know, get, get, get the job. Let me just say this. If any relationship that you're in includes you saying something like, yes, but, 
you should get your butt out of that relationship. <laughs> I I'm, I'm couldn't be more serious. There's not a more significant human relationship that you're going to have than your marriage or your wife or your husband. And you thinking, man, I'm going to make an exception here because they seem to be pretty exceptional. Here's what I know. You are not going to be the exception to the rule. You will be a statistic. And you're going to lose at love in 10 ways. The Bible says that the qualities that you should look for in a person are character, someone who fears the Lord. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30 says, charm is deceptive. Like, hey, man, they just seem like they got charisma. I like being around them. There's a connection. Beauty is fleeting. But a woman or a man who fears the Lord, that means they know God. They walk with him. They live in light of knowing and walking with God. They are worthy to be praised. Honor them for all that their hands have done and let their works bring praise at the city gate or like in the community. Proverbs 14 verse one says, the wise woman builds her house. Or you could have the wise man, like someone who's wise. This is who you should look for. The wise man, wise woman builds their house, builds it up. But with her own hands, the foolish one tears it down. Solomon says, two types of people in the world. You got people who are wise, know God, walk with him. They're gonna be someone that if you let into your life, you marry that person, you're gonna have a house one day, a family one day that's all built up. Then there's the homewrecker. They're a fool. They don't know God. They don't walk with him. He literally says, wrecks their home. He says, you need to decide what are you gonna look for? And if you're making exceptions because you think they're exceptional, you're gonna end up with a homewrecker. And you're not gonna win at love. You're gonna lose at love in the second way. Third idea, play married. What do I mean by play married? This means we live together, we sleep together, we, we've moved in. We think the next step in our relationship is moving in and kind of exploring, like, is this something that could long-term work out? Let me just first say, I get why this is such an appealing thing. Like, rent is expensive. You're spending a lot of time together. Some of you are listening right now, and you're like, yeah, but, you know, we're I'm spending the night over there a lot anyways. I got a lot of my stuff over there. We might as well move in, save on rent. My roommates all moved out. I mean, where am I supposed to go? Where do you want me to live? It just makes sense. And we're ready to take the next step in our relationship. We need to see, I even have parents telling me, some of you may say, hey, hey, before you get engaged, you guys should probably like live together a little bit and see if this is something that you're really sure you want to move forward in. Why would that be a bad idea? The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, sorry, Hebrews chapter 13, verse four, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed or having sex should be kept pure just for marriage. God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. If you're living together, having sex together, giving your heart away, you're not honoring marriage. You're not preparing yourself for marriage and you are setting yourself up to lose in the third way at love. Why do I say you're not preparing yourself for marriage? Like, here's what living together is, in case, in case you think this is like, this will prepare us for marriage. When you live together and you're in a dating relationship, you're basically going like, it, it's more of a combination of your college roommate and a sex partner than it is a marriage. It's true. It's like, oh, dude, we sleep together, kind of pay half the bills, I'll pay half the bills, and we can have sex. You're not walking through what it looks like to walk through infertility. You're not getting up in the middle of the night with kids. You're not like saving up for retirement and income and having to work through conflict. It's not preparing you for marriage. Statistically, living together, and I know this is going to wreck a lot of people's worlds or anger a lot of people, is increasing the likelihood of you getting a divorce. 
And there's studies that have come out and been like, oh man, that's not exactly clear. The most recent studies that have come out have said it increases your likelihood of getting a divorce if you live together before marriage. And here's why. Because sociologists, because people have begun to study, like, how could that be? That's so counterintuitive. Non-Christians going, it's so interesting. You live together before marriage, that's gotta be the next step. How could that not increase the likelihood of you succeeding? Like, how could it have the inverse effect and make it likely that you're gonna end up breaking up? And sociologists have termed one of the leading kind of reasons why they think is because whenever you begin to live together, you kind of slide into marriage versus deciding to get married. Let me explain it like this. Like you end up getting a house, you're there, we're like we're moving in, we're splitting rent, and you begin to make decisions that kind of yoke and intertwine your life together that make it harder to decide, I don't think this should keep going forward. You get a phone bill and you're like, man, this is too high. Let's share our phone plan. You get a phone plan together and you're, now you're living together. You're sharing your AT&T phone plan. Then you're like, you know what? I saw these puppies at the park. I think we should get a dog. You bring home a dog named Princess. It's a little bulldog. And then you got this, uh, you're like, more parents together. And all of a sudden your life gets closer and closer and closer. You co-sign or on a car that you're going to lease. And step by step, without even realizing it, you're like, I've just put so much relational equity into this. And I see some red flags. I'm not exactly sure they're the right person, but it just feels like we're already pot committed. Might as well get married. And rather than going, hey, I can clearly think through this. They have the qualities that I see in a person. They're a godly person. I will make the decision to get married. You just kind of slide into marriage. And they're saying that is why there's likelier or likely the explanation for the greater divorce increase. What, is, what do I mean by that? Like there's certain things in life it's okay to slide into and it's not gonna be that expensive or costly in the end. Like things like a subscription. This happens all the time, or at least happens to me. Like Disney Plus, when that came out, any Disney Plus people in the room? Four of you guys. When you have kids, that's your jam, man. And uh, we signed up in November, got Disney Plus. It was like seven day trial. And then they always get you because you put your information in and then seven days goes by and you forget oh yeah, I signed up for that thing. And I just kind of slid in without even realizing it. And now I've got a subscription, still need to go in there and cancel. But at the end of the day, me sliding versus kind of deciding, honey, we're gonna get the Disney thing. is not that costly. It's seven bucks a month. You sliding into marriage is incredibly costly. And the story that you're gonna have, the story you're gonna tell your kids, the story that you're gonna live with, you are writing right now. And if it includes you living together and playing marriage you are living disobedient to the scripture. You are increasing the likelihood of you getting a divorce. And I know you're going, hey, not us. That won't be our story. And there may be some story out there that you're like, hey, my family did it or my parents did it and it was okay with them. Being an exception to the rule doesn't mean that your parents' marriage was thriving and experiencing everything God intended marriage to experience. The fourth way that you can ruin love in 10 ways this decade, is search for the best. Search for the best, this really applies to, I guess everybody, but people that are in significant relationships. What does this look like? Today, we live in a day and age where I can search for the best on virtually anything. Like, if I wanna go have the best seafood in town, what do I do? I pull out my phone, I go to Yelp, type in best seafood around, then I find the top 10 list, go to that one, highest reviews. I'm not going to any three star, go to a five star. Go to that five star, sit down at the restaurant, then what can I do? I can find out what the best food at that best restaurant is. So I pull in tips and I'm looking up like all the different things that I can eat. We live in a time where it's never been easier to kind of have awareness of what options are out there and selecting the best. Amazon used to be a day and age where if I wanted a microwave, I'd go to Sears, be like, hey, which one of these will last? 
you know, hopefully beyond a year. Today, I pull up Amazon, and I just go highest rated, and I pick it out there. Search for the best. I'm not settling. I'm an American. Let's do this. That translates and can transfer over into the way that a lot of us think about dating without realizing it. So we begin to think like, dude, hey, you know, I'm dating her. She's fine. There's something about her that kind of annoys me a little bit. And, you know, she's blonde. I really like brunettes. And and I begin to go, maybe there's somebody out there that's better out there. So I'm going to go find this person. And I begin to search going, I'm looking for someone who's the most compatible person out there. And as we've said before, the reason that's a bad idea is, one, you'll never accomplish it. If you're looking for, like, the single most compatible person on the planet, you probably won't find them. Statistically, they're in China. they got a billion people over there, so their odds are not in your favor there. (laughs) And beyond that, there's always going to be something that is going to be wrong with them, just like there's always something wrong with you. So searching for the best is a bad idea. Searching for someone who has the best qualities according to God is the best hope and option that you have. Searching for the best is a bad idea, but searching for someone who has the best qualities that or the qualities that God says is best is your best option. In Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says, a spouse with noble character, who can find? Like, dude, that is rare. They are more valuable than rubies or than wealth. They are of tremendous wealth. If you find them, you hold on to someone who has character. I remember sitting down, and I remember dating my wife, and I remember being in a place where I was like, man, I just don't know. Like, is this the person? And I had a close friend that was, like, in a community, godly guy who was like, hey, look, so you're wondering, are they the most compatible? Let me answer, no. There probably is somebody out there who's more compatible in whatever way today in this season you define compatibility. They may like, you know, the Astros, you know, close to the way that you do, or long suffer with the Aggies in a way that, you know, you do. And um, that joke didn't make sense to anybody in here but the Aggies, but you got me, people. Or that has whatever qualifications today as you define compatibility. So yes, that person is out there. That's a terrible question. You need to ask, does this woman have the qualities and characteristics that I want to spend my life with? Characteristics that God says is best. And if you're out there and you're dating, you're like, man, are we the most compatible? That is a bad question. A better question is, does this person have the character of someone that I want to marry, that I want my children to be like? I don't want my children to be raised by. The third, fourth, fifth way you can lose at love this decade is jump from relationship to relationship. This one is hard because if you're this person, you don't think you're this person. But you're the person in the room who's always talking to somebody. You're on dating apps, probably right now, and you are always in a relationship with someone. You never have time where you're single. And if you are single, it kind of drives you nuts because you're like, man, I'm just trying to get back in into a relationship, and there's probably something, having done this a while, really unhealthy that you're feeding through those relationships, a codependency. A lot of times it it comes out of a need that I just need affirmation or attention from girls, or I just need a guy to tell me that I'm pretty. There's some type of discontentment and insecurity that is in your life. And if you're jumping from one relationship to the next, you're never healing, and you're probably gonna miss out because you're not healing, on becoming the type of person, the type of godly guy or godly girl who has the character that a godly guy or godly girl is going to be looking for. The scriptures say that contentment is a mark that 
Through a relationship with Christ, we as believers know I'm not defined by having a dating status on my Facebook. I'm not defined by having a relationship. I don't need somebody to find me. I know my identity is secure in Christ and I'm content. Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 said, I have learned the secret of being content, whether I'm single, whether I'm married, whether I'm employed. Whatever the circumstance, in every situation, whether I'm living in plenty or in want, I can do all of this through Christ who gives me strength. One of the qualities and characteristics of a godly spouse, if you're looking for someone, you should ask the question, are they jumping from one relationship to the next, the next, the next? Like, did we start talking when they were still dating somebody? If so, you should be concerned. All right, number six, focus on chemistry over character. Focus on chemistry over character. Chemistry is like the nicest way that I could put a combination of like electricity and they got good curves and you kind of like, you know, just some of their personality and when you're around, it's like electricity is moving back and forth between the two of you and there's just something there. And we focus on that over character. You are focusing on a thing that will not be a part of your relationship always and will change with different seasons in your life. Why do I say that? Chemistry really is it's kind of, whether that means like, hey man, the sex is really good, or just like, you know, there's butterflies constantly when I'm around her, will not be something that lasts and is strong enough to make a relationship last. In other words, that, that won't always be there. And hopefully you guys know that, but think about that. If that's the reason where you're like, yes, every time we're together, it's just like such good vibes, I just feel the energy. That's not gonna be there. Like, think about in dating relationships. If you've ever dated somebody and you've broken up, you've seen that, yeah, uh, chemistry can come and go. Like, there's somebody that when you first, you're like at the movie theater, moving your hand towards each other, just touching pinkies, and you're like, and it's overwhelming. (laughs) And you date a little bit, and then all of a sudden, you're like, I don't want to be in a relationship with this boy, and you don't feel anything towards them. You're like, dude, I don't care. I feel nothing other than, like, just bitterness, probably. That chemistry came and it went. And say, well, that, that happens in marriage. There's seasons, there's times where you're going through life and it won't always be there. But what will be there is character. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4, Solomon warns young men a wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. That's Solomon's nice way of saying, if you have a wife that doesn't have character, it's gonna be like you're dying on the inside for the rest of your marriage. If you have a husband that doesn't have character, it's gonna be like a slow death from the inside for the rest of your marriage. We've said before, it is so much better to be lonely and single today than lonely and married tomorrow. And there, (laughs) thank you, preach. if I do say so myself. And uh, <laughs> there are a lot of people who get married and they're experiencing an even deeper loneliness in that marriage because there's no hope of, man, maybe someday this will be fixed. And you can lose love and lose it love if you focus on chemistry over character. Number seven, project past hurts. And this one um, is huge if you are in a dating relationship. You gotta work through past hurts. 
past hurts, whether they be from family or friends or past dating relationships, because if you don't practice forgiveness, you're not ready to get married. Like marriage is one long, I forgive you after I forgive you after I forgive you. And it's all towards someone who deeply hurts you, who you deeply love. And if you can't forgive, whatever things are in a part of your story today or in your past, you're not ready to move past that. So you gotta deal with that baggage or else that baggage is gonna come back up again. Like some of us in the room, we carry around stuff and you've basically like, understandably, you were wronged and you were really hurt. And you haven't dealt with that and you haven't forgiven that person. And when you carry that, it's like you carry a bag of bitterness around with you. And the more that you have a bag of bitterness around, it makes it easier to pick up other things and put it in there. Like, like some of us have walked through life and the things that you're holding on to represent past relationships. Like a, a guy cheated on you your sophomore year of college and you don't trust people anymore. And you don't tr- that's why you're always around or the girl cheated on you. And so every time you're dating, you're like, I need to see your phone. I need to see it right now. I want to know exactly why I saw you talking to Sandra over there. And you're like, well, Sandra's my cousin. And, uh... <laughs> and you've got to deal with it. Oh, there's maybe some of the hurts. And again, like, I, I get it, man. They're all understandable. They come from just family or parent or father wounds or a mom who wasn't around. Or maybe a dad who never said that they loved you. And you kind of carry that scar, and it manifests itself in different ways, but you've never dealt with it. You've never forgiven your parents. And before you take the next step, you need to forgive family, siblings, parents. I mean, forgive, like, I forgive you. You never came to my sport games. I forgive you that you were never around. I forgive you that you were angry all the time and I'm choosing because God in Christ has forgiven me and the scriptures command me I have to extend forgiveness and I forgive you like I was forgiven others it may just be related to trust issues in general or broken trust from friends like just that betrayed you that lied about you that left you out that hurt you whatever those hurts are walking through and walking through I'm gonna choose to forgive. I don't wanna carry around the bag because if I carry that bag around, I'm gonna bring it into marriage and I'm gonna, I promise you, you're gonna put things in that bag. Maybe the hardest one is gonna be working through abuse. Statistically, one in four people in this room were abused in some way and it wasn't your fault and it wasn't right and forgiving them doesn't make it right but you're gonna carry that into marriage and it's gonna impact your love life and your sex life and your marriage life and all that. And you know what? That's not fair. It's not, but it's also true. And the best gift you can give to your spouse today is beginning, I'm gonna work through some of the baggage. I don't wanna carry this anymore. I don't wanna bring this into my marriage because I know if, I don't, if I'm holding on to stuff now, you're gonna hold on to stuff later. Colossians chapter three, verse 13 is one of, Tons of verses that says, forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The eighth way you can lose at love is that you can isolate your relationship. 
If you are the only person in your life other than the person you're dating who is celebrating and excited about and knows about your dating relationship, you should be concerned. If you're the couple, we all have seen this couple, that they, they come together and they start dating and it's just like they submarine. They disappear and they'll resurface at some point and you haven't seen them in forever. They just become the couple that they only hang out with one another. They're constantly around each other. And if it's not a bad thing to like being with each other and like being around each other, but if no one else in your life knows the relationship, is celebrating the relationship, if there's no godly counsel in your life or community that is celebrating and saying, hey, this is a good thing. Yeah, I, I see you guys working well together. I think this is a great relationship. I celebrate that. You should be concerned at best. Proverbs chapter 18, verse one says, whoever isolates their relationship seeks their own desire or isolates themselves. They seek their own desires. They break out against all sound judgment or all like rational, rational wisdom. They kind of lash out against that because they're like, I'm gonna do what I want to do. If you are isolating your relationship, you should be concerned. Ninth way, have sex when you're ready. Have sex when you're ready. This feels like the nicest way for culture to say, you know, just don't be a hussy. But, uh, you know, have sex whenever you think it's best. Because, I mean, what does that even mean? I feel like I was born ready. Or like by 12 years old, I was like, hey, I feel like I'm ready. All right. <laughs> the answer all of us would give across the room would be entirely different. What does that even mean? Hey, have sex whenever you're ready. That's a terrible standard. And yet, if you turn on and listen to any pop culture today, the most, celeb- or the most um, throttled version of sexuality is like, hey, I'm, I'm just waiting. Colton from The Bachelor. I'm waiting until I find that right person. I'm, then I'm in. That's a terrible idea. Biblically, it's a terrible idea because the scriptures say that at a soul level, every time you have sex with someone, you are touching that person and they are touching and impacting you at the deepest part of your heart, unlike any other sin in your life. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 18 says, flee all sex outside of marriage. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you? Whom you have received from God, you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Biblically, God is not anti-sex. He's so pro-sex. And dude, when you get married, here's what I'm confident of. Married people have way more sex than you guys if you're single. It's true. God's not opposed to sex. He wants you to experience that. And because he's so pro-sex, he wants it to be in the confines of a marriage that is safe and secure where you don't have to put out in order for somebody to stay, but where you lovingly give yourself to one another in the context of an unbreakable bond and covenant. Having sex when you're ready is a terrible idea. Having sex within marriage is a great one. But if you wanna lose at love, you should have sex. The last one. Believe that love is something that you fall into. We talk about love in a funny way, you know? We're like, man, then I just, I just fell in love. As though it's like a puddle or something you kind of <laughs> drifted into. This unstoppable force that kind of came out of nowhere and there I was and I was just doing my life running along and then I saw her and whoa, we spent time together and now all my hobbies have changed and the hills are alive with the sound of music and <laughs> just fell in. The reason that's a really bad idea 
is because if you believe love is something you can fall into, you also believe love is something you can fall out of. The reason the divorce rate is as high as it is is because our culture believes, like, man, I just fell out of love. As though love is something you can fall into and you can fall out of. Biblically, love is not something that you fall in or fall out of. It is something you live out. And you particularly live it out in the context of marriage. It involves acting. Like, we, we have our timeline off. The timeline that most people have is like, hey, we dated, we fell in love, then we got married. A better timeline is that, hey, we dated. We saw this as something that we were both on the same page, character, the qualities. I saw all the things God said. This is the right move. Others around us celebrated that relationship. We got engaged. We got married. And you know what happens then? Then the loving begins. Because love is something that takes sacrifice, that takes work, takes all types of descriptive terms biblically. The best passage or most extensive passage on love, you've probably heard a bunch of weddings, is this from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Think about these things. You don't fall into patience. You choose to be patient. Love is kind. Kindness. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not keep any record of wrongs. That means love chooses, I forgive you. I'm not holding this against you. That is entirely action. That's what that means. There's been a wrong, and I'm choosing, despite the fact that I was wronged, I'm not holding on to that. It's not some emotional-led decision. That is, I'm deciding to do that. That's what love is. It's something that you live out, not that you fall in. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. It always hopes or believes the best. It always perseveres. Love never fails. All of these, biblically, love, biblically, involves these attitudes and actions in your life, not this emotional overflowing and feeling. The idea of first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby carriage is... (laughs) Hey, we date, we got married, then love begins because it's in that context that I have to choose. I'm gonna die to myself and put your needs before my own. And my wife dies to herself and says, I'm putting the needs of the other person before my own. You can't even fully live out love until you're married. And we get the progression off. Once you get married, that's when the love begins and deciding I'm choosing to die to myself to love you. Biblically, that's what love is. It's not some emotional overflowing experience. The Apostle Paul, you know how he ends this passage? It's really fascinating. He's talking about love, and then out of left field, he begins to talk about his childhood, where you're like, love is this, and love is this, and he's like, when I was a boy, and here's what he says. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. In other words, in the context of love, it's almost as though Paul is saying like, hey, there's a lot of myths people believe about love, like, they believe in the fairy tale, got Cupid over there firing arrows. There's a lot of crazy stuff people believe. But when I became a man, I put those away, and I began to accept the truth. And I put childish things behind me. Love is a decision that I make to die to self in the context of marriage over and over and over and over. It's not always easy. It doesn't always come easy. But that is what marriage is. And I know that I'm ready for marriage when I decide, man, I'm ready to love 
through the actions that Scripture calls me to. Here's the summary one more time. If you want to lose at love in 10 ways, date for fun. Make exceptions because they're exceptional. Play like you're married. Search for the best. Jump from relationship to relationship. Focus on chemistry over character. Don't deal with past hurts. Isolate your relationship and have sex when you're ready. And believe love is something that you fall into. We close here. Maybe the biggest lie, or one of the biggest two lies, there's kind of two directions, maybe we'll take it. Is some of you are believing you can reject and do as many of those as you want and not lose at love. And you have bought a lie. And someday you're going to wake up and you're going to go, how did I get here? The love story I hoped I would experience. It's not the love story that's getting written around me. And I feel like I may even be past kind of the stage of even when I would fall into that love story. Others of you, you're in the room and you believe that, man, because you've broken one of these, you're too far and you're too damaged goods and the love story God has for you can't be something where if you will turn and surrender life and your love story to him, he'll write one out of that more beautiful than anything that you could have imagined. And you think you're too damaged of goods. And the God who said doesn't look at it like that. The choice is yours and mine. Am I going to decide to follow his way or not? It's like this. My wife and I have been recently looking for, like, on a mattress search. We've had the same one for, for years. And uh, we have, you know, came across the bed in a box thing, found mattresses that they'll ship right to your door. Really interesting. And, uh, and we've gone through four of them. We went through the purple, did the Lisa, Casper, Helix. And here's the deal. You get them, you're going to sleep on them. And you get a 100-night trial, totally free. Like, if you don't want it, no questions asked, return. 365-day trial on one of them, no questions asked, return. And we went through it, and we kind of were sleeping on these different mattresses. And, and each time, the same thing happened. It's really interesting. We call, and um, it's like, man, this one's too hot, and this one's too cold, and this, you know, porridge, three little bears. But we call, and we're like, I want to return this. And uh, they've said the same thing each time. They're like, okay, great. Well, if you just donate it to a charity of your choice and send us a receipt, that's fine. In other words, they're like, because you used it, that thing is so worthless to us now that we won't even come get it. So just get rid of it and do whatever you want with it, and that's it. We don't even care to come and get it back. You've been sleeping on it. It's used. It's not worth it. In so many ways, that's such a reflection of like the dating culture that we live in. In our world that wants you to have that romantic love story at the same time also chastises you and makes you feel like damaged goods if a part of your story didn't always work out the right way. You got an STD, you had an abortion in your past, you had sexual dysfunction in your past, maybe there was sexual abuse, and you can feel like damaged goods that, hey, everyone around me feels like, reiterates, I'm used, I'm worthless, I'm abused. And the message of the Bible is that despite any of these being broken in your past, your story doesn't have to be over. And that a godly guy or a godly girl is not exempt from you, no matter, listen very closely to me, no matter your story, it does not have to be the case that, hey, a godly guy would never have interest in you or a godly girl would never have interest in you. If you believe that, you have bought a lie because the New Testament really tells us that anyone who's a godly guy is gonna act like Christ. How did Christ act towards people who had sexual dysfunction in their past? You know, we're actually told. He looked at a woman who had sexual dysfunction taking place in her present. He's teaching one morning, he's at the temple in John chapter eight. He's sitting there and he's teaching. And they bring this woman 
who've been caught in the act of adultery, caught in the midst of having sex with not her husband, with some other man, and they drag her and they throw her in the middle of Jesus' message right in front of everybody. How does the Son of God respond to a woman clearly guilty of sexual sin, dysfunctional relationship? How does God respond? We're told that he, he looks at the men, and the men yell out, the law says we should condemn her to death. And they call for the death penalty. How do you respond, Jesus? Jesus kneels down on the ground. He begins to write something in the dirt. We're not even told what he wrote. Draws with his finger, and then he stands up. And he says, let him without sin throw the first stone. And then he kneels back down and starts writing in the ground. What? Jesus, she's an adulteress. She's ruining a family's life. She's caught in the middle of having sex with somebody else and you're perfect, holy God. You look at her despite the law calling for the death penalty and you say, hey, if you're without sin, you can do it. You know the answer. You know they have sin in their life. They can't do that. And he kneels back down and he gets riding in the dirt. And we're told that the oldest to the youngest, they walk away. And now it's just Jesus and the woman. He's kneeled on the ground. And he looks up and you gotta think this woman's covered in tears and who else, who knows what else. And he looks her in the eyes and he says, does no one condemn you? And she responds, no one. And Jesus says, go and leave your life of sin. I don't condemn and I don't condone, but I'm gonna be crucified on a cross for sin like this and there is no sin that makes you so unwanted by me. You're not used and damaged and abused goods and a godly guy and a godly girl will see you with the eyes of Jesus and I so desperately want you to hear me. Your story is not done, but you have a part in that story of saying, God, I surrender. I want a love story that you write. I give you the pen, write it all over my life. Take it, use it. I'll date however you want me to date. I don't want to write a story like my parents' story. I don't want to write a story like so much of Hollywood's dysfunctional crap. I want a love story that lasts, God. And everywhere I look, the best shot I got in culture is a coin flip. So if that's possible, God, I surrender. Take it. And a godly guy, if you turn, and a godly girl, if you say, God, I'm, I wanna walk with you, I'm gonna walk with you, I'm gonna date like you call me to, he's gonna look at you like Jesus looks at you. Forgiven, new, whole. But you have to make the decision what you're gonna do. Are you gonna keep driving your own life? Because if so, you're never gonna heal and you're never gonna have that godly guy around and you're gonna buy the lie that you're damaged goods so you just gotta settle for damaged Daniel. <laughs> you don't have to. Sorry, Daniel. <laughs> but you gotta decide. Are you gonna have a decade that roars as it relates to your love life? Or are you gonna lose love in every way when it doesn't have to be so? Let me pray. Father, thank you that you 
don't condemn sexually immoral people like me. You don't condone those with sexual brokenness in our past and sexual sin and sexual relationships. And yet also you don't condemn because you were crucified taking all the condemnation on you. I pray that tonight anyone in this room who has bought that lie, and there are many, that they're too far gone. Their story is too far to be woven back and made new, redeemed. Your spirit would overwhelm them now and help them reject that lie. I pray for anyone who's never trusted and what you did on the cross, the perfect expression of love, that they wouldn't lose that love by not accepting it tonight. And I pray for dating relationships, God. Protect those of us who are dating in the room. Protect us from living in our own ways, dating as we see fit or the world says to. Stop marriages from happening. Break couples up right now that need to. Form marriages that need to. We love you. We worship you in song. Amen.